Nope, nope, nope. Not about solar. Not about wind. It's not about recycling. It's not about driving an electric vehicle. No, no. That's that's not what sustainable development is about. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. Brian Sussman Show. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate that. As you know, we have started our new video series available at YouTube and Rumble. Just look for it, Brian Sussman Show, and you will be able to see those particular episodes. So the current episode is episode six. It's exposing sustainable development. You're going to hear the audio from that portion as we continue here online, on audio, depending on what platform you are, Spotify, Audacity, Apple, Google, just so many. But for the sake of these podcasts, it's episode 209. I'm really glad you're here. You're going to find this to be an amazing expose regarding sustainable development, a plot put forth by the United Nations to bring the world order into a system of Marxist redistribution. Okay, you're going to hear it all. God bless you, my friends, and thank you for listening. Let's go now to the audio from the video. Well, it isn't a sexy topic, but it's a super important topic that we're going to tackle today in this episode of The Brian Sussman Show. And thank you for joining me. I'm Brian Sussman. If you're watching the new video series, thank you. This is episode number six. If you're listening on many of the audio platforms, this is episode 209. And again, thanks for being here. I have copious notes. I think I have 22 pages of notes here. 22 pages of notes having to do with sustainable development. Again, not necessarily a sexy topic, but man, is it an important one because this is where the agenda leads to sustainable development. And sustainable development will bring us net zero. We'll talk about net zero in the next episode. And I've got a great interview that I want you to listen to because this gentleman is the foremost expert on plastic. And in terms of net zero, the new plan is we're going to ban plastics. And I'm not just talking about you know, bottles of water, you know, bottles that water and sodas would come in. I'm talking about efforts to ban plastic because they say, well, plastic is, is created by the use of fossil fuels. And the use of fossil fuels creates carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. And therefore, carbon dioxide is contributing to global warming, which is causing climate change, which is why we need sustainable development. This interview in our next episode is going to be fantastic because when you hear what this guy has to say about plastic and how all, all of these myths regarding plastic have been perpetrated by the agenda, I think you're going to be stunned and amazed and uh, quite pleased with what he has to say. So that'll be in our next episode. But I've got all these notes that I want to get to here. Because sustainable development is it's a clever marketing phrase. This was concocted by the United Nations. And it's brilliant because it can mean different things to different people. You know, global warming implies the climate's getting warmer. Climate change implies that the climate is changing. But sustainable development, you were, if you were to ask 10 people what that means, you'd get 10 different responses. Some people would say, well, solar power. That's sustainable development. Others would say, well, driving a Tesla, that's the way to go. That's sustainable development. 
wind turbines. I mean, right on down the line. But if you were to ask someone who has been trained in environmental sciences in an American university or any university in the developed world over the last 10 years, you would get different answers altogether. The answers would be sustainable development means equity hmm. or social justice or the end of capitalism or this is one they really like to use meeting the needs of the present without compromising the future. This is all code language, code language for Marxism. This is what the United Nations has been plotting and scheming and planning now for quite a few years. Put another way, put another way. This is what so, uh, sustainable development means. Climate change is the illness brought about by greed, development, profit, and the American ethos of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Sustainable development is, is the business plan, so to speak, for the climate agenda. This is the plan that is going to be employed to completely vanquish the planet of the inalienable rights and the notion put forward by the founders of America. And of course, you know what the left thinks about the founders of America. Well, they were all racist. Sustainable development is the antidote. It's promising righting perceived wrongs, determining fairness, and forcing a philosophical transformation of society. Or maybe we could say a wrenching transformation of society. Now, those aren't my words. Those are actually Al Gore's words. A wrenching transformation of society will be necessary to take the planet to the next level. That next level is sustainable development. Now, all of this started with the United Nations. I am no fan of the United Nations. I think it's the most corrupt organization the planet has ever seen. And it's just, it's what, a, what an absolute ironic insult that this 39-story building in Manhattan that houses these thousands of bureaucrats from all over the world. Bureaucrats, by the way, who they love working at the United Nations. Here they are in New York City with their plans and plots and schemes to take out the United States of America, essentially. And all of these bureaucrats live much better here than they would ever live in their own home countries, especially those from underdeveloped countries. They have diplomatic immunity, which is absolute garbage. And on top of that, they uh, are pleased as punch to be living in the lap of luxury, you know, taking advantage of, of all the, th the wonderful things that the United States of America has to offer while they're plotting to undermine the United States of America. Listen to these statistics on the United Nations. I, I just have to go here for a moment because we need to be reminded what this organization is all about. One, it was, it was started in San Francisco, 1945, just after World War II. The whole idea of the United Nations was to, first goal, maintain international peace and security. Maintain international peace and security, 1945. Well, how have they done on that? They've, they've never stopped a war. 
They've never even stopped a rumor of a war. This is just a feckless bunch of bureaucrats with a plan. Now, listen to this. One quarter of the countries represented by the UN, and initially there were 51 countries in 1945 that got together to craft this UN document, but now there are 193 member states. One quarter of those member states are essentially dictatorships. Several of those dictatorship countries sit on the United Nations Human Rights Council. You can see what a joke this organization is. And, and I wanted to let you know, I had somebody talk, ask me this question recently. They were talking about uh, my, most of my writing, the books, and, and most of what I do at briansussman.com and, and articles that are seen in various papers and periodicals and magazines and websites across the country. My, I, yes, I'm a meteorologist, and I understand the global warming hoax. But my writing is essentially based on waking people up to communism and socialism. And the United Nations is a hotbed of all that and more. And sustainable development is, is as much a Marxist tool as anything you'll ever see, as you'll hear. I've got a quote here from Stephen Daisley. He's writing in The Spectator. Here's what he says about the United Nations. The UN Charter reads like a self-satire, and while there's plenty of hypocrisy in international relations, it's never good when your organization's objectives double as punchlines. <laughs> well, okay, here's a case in point. Their current Secretary General, Guterres, he actually said this, humanitarian response, sustainable development, and sustaining peace are three sides of the same triangle. Did you hear what I just said? They're one and the same. Humanitarian response, sustainable development, and sustaining peace. Well, first of all, the United Nations, again, when it comes to sustaining peace, how have they done in that particular category? Humanitarian response, I mean, I guess they give, give bags of rice away here and there, but Christian organizations in the United States do a much better job. But sustainable development, this is the leveling of the playing field that the left has so desired for so, so long. Now, I'm going to take you to a teacher's guide. If you know, as I mentioned, any student who has taken some serious environmental study coursework at any major university over the last 10 years. They're all very aware of sustainable development. They've been taught it. They've been indoctrinated on it. They've been brainwashed or greenwashed, if you will, on it. But I went to a myriad of websites, and Vanderbilt University has a sustainable development teacher's guide and here's what they say. Sustainable, sustainability offers a novel framework for asking enduring philosophical questions. What is the good life? How do we create a better world? Thinking and teaching about sustainability are future-oriented projects. But the relevance of sustainability principles and practices must be articulated in the present. Okay, let's break this down. A good life, a better world. Wow, who wouldn't be all for that? 
But when you dig into the details of good and better, these are subject to the eyes of not just the beholder, but they're subject to the eyes of those who are doing the indoctrination. This is what's happening. And this Vanderbilt University program focuses on a few key historical issues to set the tone. They go all the way back to 1976, and this was something that the United Nations put together called Habitat One. It was held in Vancouver, Canada, 1976. These are some of the UN bigwigs. That's the logo that they developed. That uh, Habitat One logo reminds me of the Anarchists logo, <laughs> which is shouldn't be any surprise because these guys are global anarchists. The subject of Habitat One is very, very simple. It had to do with land ownership. Specifically, Habitat One was opposed to private land ownership. Now, let's just stop the press. Well, let me, let me read something first. This is uh, from Agenda Item 10. It says, Land cannot be treated as an ordinary asset, controlled by individuals and subject to the pressures and inefficiencies of the market. Private land ownership is also the principal instrument of accumulation and concentration of wealth and therefore contributes to social injustice. Unchecked, it may become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes. Let me just break this down for you. Private land ownership contributes to social injustice. If unchecked, it may become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes. Public control of land use is therefore indispensable. Private land ownership. The United States of America was built on the principle of private property ownership. It's life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What is the pursuit of happiness? It's the happiness that comes about through the ownership of property. These are inalienable rights. These are, if you, if you go through the Bible as as John Locke, who so influenced the founders, did. He was a wonderful, uh, wonderful English theologian, philosopher, jurist. He was a wonderful guy. And he said, if you just call through the scriptures, you'll find that there are three solid God-given rights, life, liberty, and property. The United Nations is out to get rid of property ownership because they say it contributes to social injustice. And look how they're doing such a wonderful job of that here in the United States. High taxation. You know, you say, well, I, I own my house outright. Well, do you really? What happens if you miss a property tax payment? You miss a couple of those, and suddenly your house that's paid off, that you may have built with your own hands, is the government's. Now, that flies in, that flies in the face of property rights. If you've ever wondered, property rights are not respected in other countries. That's why in most other countries, U.S. citizens cannot own property. You might be able to get a 99-year lease on a piece of land, but you'll never be able to own that property. Here in the United States of America, if you're troubled by so many foreign entities and foreign individuals buying up land in the United States, why do we allow that, you ask? Well, it's because 
inherently we believe that every person has a right to own property. doesn't matter if you're from the United States or not. That's why we do that. Property rights are, are essential to happiness. And I'm not just talking about physical property rights. I'm talking about the stuff between your ears as well. If unchecked, may become a major obstacle in the planning and implementation of development schemes. Well, what are their development schemes? They come right from the Book of Marks, right from the manifesto. I'll talk a little bit about that. And then public control of land use is therefore indispensable. That's why they're chipping away at property rights here in the United States of America like nobody's business, because it flies in the face. I've probably said that too many times in this podcast. But that was 76. So a decade later, the United Nations finally unveils sustainable development. They talked about the concept in 76, but see, people at the United Nations, they're very, very patient in their planning. So finally, in 1987, the United Nations uh, plan was made public in an Orwellian-like expression that was unfamiliar at the time. 1986, we'd never heard of sustainable development before. And suddenly, boom, there it was. And all these years later, it's here. Now, according to the Vanderbilt Teacher's Guide that I was referring to just a moment ago, the term sustainability has an important history in development literature. Sustainability has an important history in development literature. The phrase was unveiled in 87 in this report that was brought forward. It's called the Brundtland Report or Our Common Future. Again, any kid who's done some serious study of environmental science in the last 10 years, maybe even 15 years, in the United States or a developed country, knows about the Brundtland Report and knows about our common future. They herald these documents like a Christian would herald the Bible. This is very, very important to them, like manna from heaven. And here's, here's how they define, define sustainable development. I just want to read these notes to you. Sustainable development requires meeting the basic needs of all and extending to all the opportunity to fulfill their aspirations for a better life. See, this is, this is what socialist and communist governments do. They say, listen, we're, we're going to make your life better. There'll be a roof over your head. You won't have to pay rent. All your food needs, we'll take care of those. You don't even have to worry about it. Transportation, transportation we'll, we'll take care of that as well. We've got you covered on that. It's all good. Universal basic income, don't worry, you'll have it. We'll take care of all your needs according to our riches and our glory. According to communist governments, they think they're God. Meeting essential needs, again, from our common future, requires not only a new era of economic growth for nations in which the majority are poor, but an assurance that those poor get their fair share. That's the heavy hand of government being employed to take from those who have and give to those who don't have. Take from the earners, give from the non-earners. Take from you. Right and level the playing field. Social equity, social justice. Continuing. Sustainable global development requires that those who are more affluent adopt lifestyles within the planet's ecological means in their use of energy, for example. So those who have done a little bit better, hey, you can afford a car? Well, then you have to get an electric vehicle if you want to drive. 
because of carbon dioxide being released in the atmosphere from fossil fuels, we're going to all solar, we're going to all wind. If you want to have a larger house, your electricity bill is going to be off the charts. You'll have to pay for it. If you want to have a second home, fine, but that's going to cost you as well. This is a way for the government to be involved, to punish the higher wage earner to the point where they're not going to want to make any more money. Why get ahead when the government's taking all of it for me? Why get ahead when I have all these requirements before me? If I want to live a more affluent life, man, it's going to cost me an arm and a leg. Eh, forget it. I won't work so hard. But for the super wealthy, for the super wealthy, for the oligarchs, for the elite, for powerful members of the deep state, the lobbyists, etc. oh, they'll come out like bandits. They'll be cool. They'll have theirs. And if things get a little rough, they'll just make a few extra donations to organizations like Greenpeace, Earth First, and Rainforest Action Network, or Save the Polar Bears, or whatever. It'll all be good because they'll have better ratings than the rest of us. You see, sustainable development, it's not about recycling bottles and cans. It's not about solar and wind. It's not recycling. It's not eating tofu. This is the business plan. It's the practical application of communist theory with a hook, the environment, with a hook, carbon dioxide, so that we can meet the needs of all. Everyone can have a better life. A new era of economic growth. The poor will get their fair share. Lifestyles will be within the planet's ecological means. Oh, we'll all be so green. Feel so much virtue. It'll be just a wonderful thing. This document also goes, again, this is 1987. This document also does something incredible. It was brand new. In 87, yeah, there was talk of global warming. Not, nobody was talking climate change yet. 87 is when CO2 officially became the enemy. It was diabolically brilliant to be able to take something you can't see, can't taste, can't touch, can't feel, something that's essential for life on planet Earth. As I'm speaking to you, I'm exhaling CO2 after having breathed in oxygen. This wonderful chemical reaction takes place within my body. And then, of course, the plant life through photosynthesis. What do they do? They absorb CO2 and they expel oxygen. It's a wonderful thing God's created. But listen to this. Listen, this is just diabolically clever. With the exception of CO2, air pollutants can be removed from fossil fuel combustion processes that cost usually below the cost of damage by pollution. In other words, they're saying air pollutants can be removed from, you know, like tailpipes of cars. And we've done a great job of that here in the United States. But you can't get rid of CO2. You can get rid of all the pollutants. You can't get rid of CO2. And they're saying, we've got to do something about CO2. What are we going to do? Decrease the use of fossil fuels. 1987. The risks of global warming make heavy future reliance upon fossil fuels problematic. All nations may suffer from releases by industrialized countries of carbon dioxide. All nations will suffer. 
what you're doing in the United States with all your cars and all your trucks and all your big buildings and all of your infrastructure and the planes you guys are always flying without a care, you're hurting the rest of the world and you will pay, says our Carmen Future. You will pay. Now listen to this. They say all nations will have a role to play in securing peace, in changing trends, and in writing an international economic system, you know, like uprighting, that increases rather than decreases inequality. You people in America, you're increasing inequality with your carbon dioxide. And it goes on to say this, and you're increasing the number of poor and hungry. This is the most diabolical weapon that they're using to take down the United States of America. And here's the deal. You got to take out America. Sure, there are other developed nations, but you got to take down America. Why? Because just as in a, a war or even a bar fight, once the biggest guy goes down, then the rest of the dominoes will follow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here, but I, I hope you'll stick with me for just another second. Social justice was finally introduced by the United Nations in those very words, social, um, social justice. That was a new term, by the way. No one had ever used the term other than a few academicians, but they were using it in completely different ways than it's used today. 146 UN document. 2006. It's called Social Justice in an Open World. Now here's what, this is why, you know, social justice, to each individual, we should be just people. You know, do unto others. But social justice, this is something that the United Nations and the left sees as being the role of government to institute. This is right from this UN article. Social justice is not possible without strong and coherent redistributive policies conceived and implemented by public agencies. Social justice is not possible without redistribution. Property rights, out the door. Social justice will only flourish if environmental preservation and sustainable development constitute an integral part of growth strategies now and into the future. Can I parse these statements for you? for just a moment, just out of some things that I've been writing of late. Social justice requires forceful and orderly redistribution of personal assets. We're talking about finances. We're talking about property. Let's, let's don't mess around with this. Carried out by the government. Second, this coerced redistribution of assets will only progress by using the cause of environmental preservation as the basis for growth strategies. That's how the environment, that's how climate change is so easily linked by these creeps into social justice and social equity via what they're calling growth strategies. This is classic communism. This, this may as well, what I'm about to read to you may as well have been written by Karl Marx and, uh, and Engel. The concept first surfaced in Western thought and political language in the wake of the Industrial Revolution 
and the Parallel Development of the Socialist Doctrine, written by Marx and Engels. It emerged as an expression of protest against what was perceived as the capitalist exploitation of labor and as a focal point for the development of measures to improve the human condition. Social justice is an expression of protest against capitalism. That's what the UN said. Social justice is an in-your-face, a violent, purposeful, in-your-face to capitalism, sanctioned by the United Nations. It's amazing to me how they've been able to carry this forward so easily. But what are we, why should we be surprised? You've got three generations now that have been indoctrinated on this stuff. Beginning in grade school, through junior high, into high school. And it's, it's something that is so pushed by the media and pushed by the leftist politicians. And sadly, there aren't enough politicians on the right side of the aisle that I think fully grasp how dangerous this whole plot and this scheme is. But I just want to get to one more little piece of, of the, the puzzle. Because five years after the introduction of sustainable development, initially in, in 1987, in 1992, there was an Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, huge Earth Summit. 10,000 journalists were present. Every head of state in the world was present for this, and that's where they unrolled Agenda 21. It was a clarion call towards a global partnership for sustainable development. That's what Agenda 21 is, a global partnership for sustainable development. And what is sustainable development? It's an in-your-face-to-capitalism. Destroy private property rights. Employ redistribution. Heavy-handed redistribution. Agenda 21, end poverty, housing as a right, urges each country to provide its citizens with universal health care, and take down the United States of America. And this is how we get to these ridiculous schemes like net zero, which we're going to talk about in the very next episode. And... Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy the interview that I have planned for you as well with the foremost expert on plastics. I mean, questions like this. Is there really this floating island of plastic in the Pacific Ocean? Or does it really take a plastic bottle 1,000 years to decompose? You know, if we get rid of plastics like certain cities around the United States want to do right now, you get rid of, you're going to kick us back into the Stone Age. We consume more pharmaceuticals in the United States of America than all the other countries combined. What are we going to do with the little pill, pill cases? What are those going to be made out of? Thank you for joining me on this, The Brian Sussman Show. Uh, please make sure you like and do share. Tell others about it. And wherever you might be watching or listening, please subscribe. It's super, super important. And I thank you for that. God bless you, my friend. And I'm always praying for the United States. I'm not giving up on her yet. 
And I pray that we see just a wonderful revival of spirit in this country that will transform hearts and minds because I think that's our only, only sure hope. Thanks for watching. Until next time.